Welcome to Bookish at Bethel. I'm Carrie Pethley and I'm in the philosophy department and I'm joined by Anne-Marie Koistra and I'm in the history department. And today we have a special episode. Um, our students have done some podcasts of their own and today is our episode where we reveal the winner and we're joined by the judge of that um, winning podcast, Sam Mulberry. So, so Amory, do you want to explain the assignment? I would. Um, so the assignment was that students had to, in small groups, put together a theme for their podcasts, and they had to select three or four books from the three or four semesters that we've done together. So they couldn't choose books from all one semester. So that was a little bit um, of a difficulty, but um, yeah, they came up with some very interesting themes and some great podcasts. And then um, obviously there are five sections of Humanities 4. So each section leader nominated what they thought was their best podcast. And then we sent them over to you, Sam, um, as our producer to make the call on which one you thought should be the winning uh, podcast and today's um, podcast for Bokeh Bethel. Yeah, so I had the pleasure of listening to to all five of the finalists, um, and it was it was actually really really fun. Uh, so what I was looking for when I my criteria I was looking for was um, the concept of the show, like like what was the theme or question, and sort of how creative or innovative was that question. Um, I was looking for the the intellectual sort of academic content because that's that's what this show is, right? This isn't just a, this isn't just a podcast about entertainment. This is a podcast about really digging into the text. So, so something that got into the text in an interesting way. Um, and then I was looking at the sort of uh, the execution of of the idea and the interplay between the hosts. This is my my big thing with with a podcast, and it's what I love about Bookish is I love hanging out with Carrie and Anne Marie. So whenever I listen, I get to do that. So I wanted a podcast that was also like a pretty good hangout that I enjoyed spending time with these people. Um, and I have to say, the finalists were all really fantastic. They all hit really high highs um, as you were going through it. But the one that was consistently great uh, across the board uh, is the one that we're going to listen to. And their theme, when I first heard it, I thought, hmm, I don't know how academic this is going to be because the, <laughs> the, the theme was basically uh, choosing a husband in the humanities program. Uh, and so if I had to give an, like a one sentence elevator pitch for this, it is uh, if the bachelorette met Western humanities <laughs> and it's, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Well, and so the winning um, entry was from Eric Leafblad's section, and it includes the voices of Abby Schroeder, Alexa Melby, Hannah Johnson, and Bella Foz. And so that's um, who you'll be hearing. And I did mention to the other folks on the podcast today that uh, my daughter is already a big fan of this podcast and, uh, isn't sure anybody is marriageable material, but uh, it has been entertaining nonetheless. And we hope you are too. I think we all know why we're gathered here together today. And it is to find a more suitable man from, I don't know who it's, I don't know, actually, I have no clue. We're just looking for husband material because apparently that's the vibe at Bethel. Yeah. So we've been reading so many amazing, interesting characters throughout humanities that 
I think we should evaluate who our potential hubbies might be from these literary characters. Yeah. We, we've all brought one book from each semester, coming in strong with some representation from the humanities. And I just think, you know, we all need to find that one eventually. So who knows? Let's look, let's look at a literary perspective. <laughs> so true. They told us to apply things, and I feel like no greater application than this. Absolutely. <laughs> great minds throughout history um, showing us what isn't a great guy. So it'll be interesting. I'm excited. Should we dive in? Let's do it. All right. Well, the first candidate I would like to propose is Aeneas from the Aeneid. Now, he, he seems like a pretty stand-up guy. Uh, had a bit of a tough life, though. Uh, he was in Troy when the, they were attacked through the Trojan horse. Um, but he shows his character right off the bat when he has mercy on Helen of Troy. So I think that's like, that's pretty good quality to have. He's merciful, at least in that instance. Um, he continues to go through some hardship. Um, he somehow managed to lose his wife um, during like the commotion and she kind of died. So, I mean, that was really unfortunate. I don't know how well that reflects on him, the fact that he lost her. But, you know, I mean, it was, it was just a mistake. Um, but happened. luckily, you know, she told him to get married again. So Hey, he's single. <laughs> yeah, so he's single. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. He carried his father on his back. So, you know, he is... Um, he values family, which is a good thing. Um, and he is very dutiful to his country and to the gods, which, I mean, is like a good and bad thing, as we see in the case of Dido. He goes to visit her, and they become lovers. Um, and he abandons her because he has his own destiny to fulfill. But, yeah, that was a little unfortunate. I don't know how well that reflects on him because she was like keeping a vow to her dead husband to not take up any other marriage or lovers. So he kind of made her break that. He didn't seem to respect that. So I don't know. That's kind of iffy, but, and then let's see, he, I guess maybe he's not single because he ends up taking up another wife, which causes a lot of commotion like there's a couple it's a couple battles over her pretty much he's battling this other guy for her hand in marriage and her father just gave her hand to Aeneas because he knew that a foreigner was going to take over and he just thought why resist destiny and he gave her his hand in marriage so I don't know if he stopped to consider her feelings or not so that could be not very good for a potential spouse. Um, so who knows if she even wanted to marry him, but I don't know. And he is the, ended up becoming the founder of Rome. So I don't know. It's pretty good. I should also mention he is the son of Venus, which is kind of a plus, like the goddess of love. Ooh, so like kind of knows. <laughs> That Might overlook that whole killing his wife thing for the whole fun of <laughs> Right. 
<laughs> I mean, when it di- like he emerges from that cloud and he's just like super attractive and Dido falls for him. So, you know, you're getting like, he at least has the looks, I would say. <laughs> hey, the looks are part of it. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think, what should we give our candidate Aeneas as a title? I think something about how um, he's very committed to, like, his goals in the sense that, like, you know, the battles and he's committed to Rome and his destiny and the gods, but he's not too committed to his ladies um, since, like, Lex said he lost one, drove one to suicide, and then just kind of the last one was more of a political thing. So maybe something along those lines. Work first. Love second? Yeah. <laughs> He's married to his job, for sure. Married yes. to his job! Oh. Yes. yes. I like that. Okay, well, the second character we have is a little bit on the track of Aeneas. Um, we're going into King Henry V from Interim. You guys remember that? Oh, yeah. What a fun time. <laughs> um, well, first off, remember, so King Henry is this kid, and he's just doing his thing. And all of a sudden, as a teenager, they're like, hey, bud, um, you're the king now, so have fun. And so little Henry's like, oh, great. And in any of our situations, I feel like we'd be like, hello, what am I doing on this position? I'm going to go just have fun. But King Henry, no, he's there for political action. This man has charisma. He is poised. He's elegant. He's mature. And he's coming in, and he is nailing it down. He's one of the best kings that England has seen forever. So he's a great king, and he sacrifices a lot. And that can play into both parts, because looking at it historically, this guy is like political maniac. He is taking over. He's controlling armies. He is attacking. He's defending. He's doing such a good job. But, I mean, there's a lot of massacres that come with that. But that's, that's a, besides the point. Um, he accomplishes money sense his mind, too. And he takes his job super, super seriously. It is job first, just like Aeneas. So, the interesting part about this, though, is we have the side, the side character. After he's done conquering, he goes through um, much of France. And then it's like, okay, you know what? War is over. To settle this, you get to have a woman named Catherine of France. And Catherine, she's over here. They get, like, their arranged marriage starts happening when she's seven and he's, like, 22. So there's an age difference, but, I mean, history, right? So they're engaged, and they meet for the first time. And as part of the Shakespeare play, we have this really kind of romanticized version of that. It's kind of like a fairy tale. Like, there's lots of flirting. She's like, wow, this guy's so smart. But also, she is a bomb. She is, like... I can take care of myself, thank you very much. Like, I am your greatest ally. You must respect me. If we're going to make this work, like, I expect to be part of this and to kind of have your side role. So, honestly, right away, he kind of says, yeah, of course. I mean, like, you're smart. Like, you've realized what's going on. And then just goes ahead and says, all right, we'll make this happen. We're treating this as, like, a treaty. This is two countries coming together. And as part of this, you can kind of be my side my side act. You can, you can be part of the action. And through it all, historically, it didn't really happen that way. Um, they're together for their, like, happy honeymoon time. Everybody's celebrating. It's a happy marriage. He goes off, does more war politics and everything stuff for, as the king does, comes back once, and then he dies. So she really didn't spend much time with him. She really just got that, like, initial honeymoon, has his kid, 
and then he goes and dies. Also, random kind of tie-in. Have any of you guys seen The King on Netflix? No, but I want to. Okay. <laughs> super, super, super good. I highly recommend. Um, but, like, watching that movie made me appreciate King Henry so much more because it just, like, it showed how much thinking was involved. Like, reading the play, I was like, okay, yeah, we're having fun. This is about wars and whatever. But then watching the movie, it's like, how much this is like a game of chess to him. He's thinking about what am I going to sacrifice to win this war? What am I going to give in? And so, like, it makes you think of, like, how smart this man truly is. So... There you have it. That is the story of King Henry and the beloved Catherine as well. Yeah, I mean, I think Henry's decent overall. I mean, the the age thing, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, but, I mean, from what you said, it seemed like she kind of had, like, he respected her as a woman, and he respected her mind, so that's good. Yes, um, and the honeymoon honeymoon phase never really ended. Well, you could argue that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he literally like wins a war, and Alexa's like, he was decent. He was okay. <laughs> yeah, a lot similar to Aeneas, though. Like very committed, you know, to his goals and stuff, and he really wants to prove himself. So we like someone who is motivated. But um, he kind of embodies, like, what we talked about when we talked about, like, Machiavelli and the prince. Like, sometimes what it takes to be a good king doesn't necessarily equal, like, a good person. Mm -hmm. Like, we saw him, you know, like, kill some of, like, his former friends. just Or, like, I think a friend. I'm not sure. I know he killed someone um, to kind of, like, establish power. And that type of thing, I think, is also worth considering, even with all of his accomplishments and being a powerful king. Yeah, that's true. That's super valid. Yeah, if she does something wrong, then, like, you don't know how he's going to react. He has a bit of a rage problem. (laughs) I would definitely describe him as, like, not like a man-child, because he's, I would describe him as, like, a child man. Like, he's a a man in a teenager's body. (laughs) (laughs) He's very mature, but then he's also still at heart like a teenager. Right. You know, the frontal lobe doesn't develop until your 20s or so, so, Mm -hmm. Yeah, we never got to that point. Yeah. Are we giving him the, do you say it, child man? Child man. Okay. (laughs) Do that. So I think that moves us into Community 3, which had a whole slew of things. Um, But one of them is our beloved Candide. And boy, is is this a story. So for starters, we have a relationship from the get-go Obviously, as you guys remember, Candide is kicked out of his beloved palace um, because he had a little too much fun with uh, one of the Baron's daughter, um, Queen of Gold. Um, and so he gets kicked out, starts his whole life of adventure, figuring out what the world's like. So he starts pretty much right off the bat going through a gauntlet, which is kind of a rough way to start your life in the new world and eventually hears that Cunigold, um, Cunigod, I don't really know, <laughs> is dead because she was beaten, raped, and then disemboweled. So not great. And yeah, during the scene, she he calls her the Pearl of Daughters, which I was like, okay, not sure how I would feel if someone referenced me as a Pearl of Daughters, but it's great. 
long story short, he keeps on going on his adventures. Turns out Tina Gold survived, which, you know, yeah, it's interesting. She's a survivor, but she survived her disembowelment. Indeed, ends up kind of going on a killing rampage where he, like, accidentally kills, like, two of her suitors, and that ends with killing her only brother. And it's just like, oops, didn't know I could do that. And, yeah, they get separated again. He, like, goes on his adventures. And fast forward to the ending. Well, I should say, in the middle, he, like, spends some time, like, writing her name on trees. And, like, leave the, like, like, El Dorado, which is, like, the city of paradise, to find her. So, like, gotta give the man some credit for his commitment. Pretty romantic. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. But then when <laughs> he finds her, he's ugly now. But, like, okay, I reread the description, and, like, it says that she's weather-beaten and her eyes are bloodshot and her cheeks are lined. And I'm like, isn't that what we all look like at the end of finals? True. So I don't know if that's really a fair, like, anyways. But apparently it was too much for Candide. And so he doesn't want to marry her. But out of spite of her brother, um, he, he still does it. Which, again, I'm not sure how I feel about that, like, marrying someone out of spite. But he did it. Guess he kept his word. So that's nice. Um, and then they just live happily ever after on a farm so i'll say like you know he has some good commitment he uh, definitely stuck with it but if you're looking for someone to care for you as a person instead of your looks and maybe not kill your brother then i would not go for him <laughs> forget how wild that book was <laughs> literally i just wow also, I feel like he lacks a lot of personality, just as a character. Yeah, he's pretty, I don't know, I feel like he changes his opinions on things a lot. Like, his philosophy changes a lot. And it's like, I mean, do you have any original thoughts of your own, or you just going along with what everybody else says? I don't know. No, doesn't have too much of a backbone. No. Yeah. I was going to say, you do have to respect his commitment. Mm -hmm. And he did end up marrying her. I mean, obviously, like Bella said, maybe not the best intentions, but, and he's like a, he's like a country boy. Like they live on a farm. I don't know. It's kind of cool. Alexa, you looking for a country boy over there? (laughs) (laughs) It's a plus. (laughs) I mean, she does become like a master baker. So all in all, it's not bad. Not an obvious. Someone to cook for me? <laughs> All right, what if I call Mr. Mr. Candide over here? Committed farm boy or country boy, maybe, or something like that. <laughs> I like committed farm boy. All right, well, should we go with that and move on to Dracula? Let's do it. Yes. All right. Well, I didn't focus on the character Dracula because I just kind of assumed that he wouldn't be the most desirable husband. <laughs> Well, we, I just didn't even go there. Um, but there are a lot of characters, and a lot of the book does look at, like, marriage and gender roles, so it is very interesting. I'm trying to think of where to start this here. Um, well, the first character in the book is Jonathan Harker, and um, he's a lawyer. He um, is very adamant about learning facts and trying to be reasonable, 
And um, after he sees the effect Dracula has, he's very committed to finding and destroying um, Dracula. But a lot of that work wouldn't be possible without his um, wife, eventually, who's Mina. And she is described to have a man's brain and just really contribute to um, all of these different guys and their efforts to find and kill Dracula, which is eventually successful with Mina's help with her ability to read into Dracula's mind and things like that. And she kind of embodies like the idea of a new woman who's more independent and intelligent and stuff like that. And kind of contrasting that to Lucy, who is Dracula's first victim. And she has three men who proposed to her in one day. Um, and they're all very dedicated to saving her. And then I just, I do want to mention one of the quotes I found. And this is what Lucy is writing in one of her letters to Mina. She says, I suppose that we women are such cowards that we think a man will save us from fears and we marry him. And she says this right after um, Quincy Morris proposes to her. And he's a very strong um, man who represents like America and those types of things. But that's kind of ironic too, because in the end, I mean, the men with Mina's help are able to kind of restore her soul, but they aren't able to save her life as she does have to like die um, eventually just to keep everyone safe from her wrath. So it's just kind of ironic that theme throughout the book, how um, Lucy and many other people of that time kind of had that more traditional mindset that, you know, men were to be the big protectors and things like that. And I feel like Quincy Morris kind of embodies that. I mean, he sacrifices his life at the end of the novel. And then there's also Arthur Holmwood, who is Lucy's actual fiance. Um, and then there's also Dr. Seward, who helps with all the solving and things like that. So I'm not sure which guy we want to focus on giving a label to, just because there are so many options just with the whole romantic romantic dynamics in the book. Anna, so, do you have any opinions? Like, if I had to pick one for myself, maybe we can go there. Sure. I don't know. I thought Jonathan Harker was all right. Um, I agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Abby's obviously thought about this. <laughs> okay, well, uh, Abby, what re- what's your reasoning? I just feel like he just, okay, so he has the intelligence. He's very put together. He understands what a good relationship works like. Yes, there are lots of downfalls, but so are every guy we've read about, to be honest. And I feel like Jonathan's just got his stuff together. He's motivated. But, yeah, out of the ones we've mentioned, I think Jonathan is probably at least the candidate in my mind that sticks out. Mm -hmm. Dr. Seward is also decent. Yeah. I mean, like, he's smart. He's a doctor. Um, He... like is very devoted to Lucy and like even after everything he like still loves her and wants to help her you know like even though he was rejected which is like really like shows his good character I think I I guess I will say he does seem to underestimate Mina but to be fair a lot of the men do like they all think she's a little bit you know because she's a woman so she's weak but I think he seemed to value her thoughts and opinions, which was good. But I don't know. I think he's a good candidate as well. Yeah. A very good point. Bella, if you had to pick one, what do, who do you think you'd pick from the Dracula uh, people? I don't know. I, I mean, I think Jonathan's a good choice. I mean, they're all great guys. 
But uh, my one concern with Jonathan is that he like literally lived with a vampire and it took him quite a while to figure that one out. Which is like, we all, I mean, we haven't all been there, but like, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, come on, my dude. But other than that, I think probably Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. Would you rather have the intelligence of King Henry or Aeneas instead of Jonathan? But with that, you also have some downfalls too. Yeah, I think I'd rather be with someone who can't spot out a vampire very quickly than <laughs> someone who like just kills people on a whim. All right. <laughs> I have to agree. Yeah. All right, friends, should we conclude this podcast by discussing our current reads right now as we wrap up the humanities semester and finally have some time to do some reading for pleasure? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I can start, I guess. I'm reading a book right now. I'm doing a lot of self-learning right now and self-growth in my journey, um, understanding white privilege and just race right now. So I'm reading a book called How to Be an Anti-Racist. And it's really interesting, super fascinating. Um, it was recommended for the social work department. I think Humanities is also doing uh, like a podcast on it right now, but super recommend. It's really good. I haven't finished it yet, but that's what my read is right now. Nice. Um, well, my read, I haven't started it yet, but it's waiting for me on my nightstand. It's called Where the Crawdads Sing. It's a novel. Um, I honestly don't know a ton about it, except I've heard a lot of people really like it. So that'll be more of a fun read over Christmas when, yeah, we have time and it'll be great looking forward to it so i'm reading for fun right now i'm reading i don't know if you've heard of brandon sanderson but he's like a great like sci-fi fantasy author and just has really like amazing complex plots so if i don't want to think that's what i've been reading so if you want a good storyline then look at him um i've also been reading a book called with um, which is just like analyzing like how we view our relationship with God um, and like if we view it like with God or if we view like our relationship for God. Um, so that one has been a slower read, but also has been just really interesting looking at like how I view my relationship with God. I am rereading uh, The Lord of the Rings because I just there's so much craziness and I just need something familiar that I know the, <laughs> the storyline. Basically I'm not like too stressed out when I'm reading it. Cause I get, when I read like really intense new books that I don't know, like I get all stressed and worried. So I just wanted something familiar and the Lord of the Rings is a great book. Alexa, were you what? stressed reading it the first time? Um, well the first time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, because it's, it's very intense. It's not super happy, but, like, you know, when you know that it ends well and you know, like, what to expect the second time, it's not as bad. And I'm just, um, I'm kind of, this time around, I'm focusing on the landscape in The Lord of the Rings and how that kind of reflects what's happening on Middle Earth. So, I don't know. There's some, like, details that I missed the first time I wanted to get. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for discussing. This was really fun. I loved our theme. I love spending time with you guys. It's crazy to think we've been on this journey through humanities for a year and a half now. So, yeah. Um, yeah, this was fun. It was. All right, guys. Thank you. Well, that's our podcast for today. And once again, you've been listening to Abby Schroeder. 
Alexa Melby, Hannah Johnson, Bella Foz from Eric Leafblad's section. And we want to thank them for recording an excellent podcast. We want to thank our producer, Sam Mulberry, for not only being the judge of this competition, but also being our producer and the inspiration behind the podcast or one of. And we want to thank our TAs and our fellow teaching um, faculty as well. And you've been listening to Bookish at Bethel. Bethel.